my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Wednesday, May 30th. I'm grateful you're listening. Uh, It's been a weird, weird week. I've had to go to the doctor. I've had to deal with jury duty crap all week. It's just like, bleh. But I have a great show prepared for you guys today. A lot of sports stuff. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals. Of course, the NBA Finals are the big story of the the week, I guess, yada, yada. But really, for me, I'm a football fan. I love football. It's my favorite sport in the world. I got a lot of good football stuff for you guys today. And so I will get to the finals. That'll be after that. I'll do a little tease and we'll go into the show. But first, I want to start with Baker Mayfield because there are, are two things I believe the Browns need to do. There are two things that the Browns need to do to help their number one overall pick and quarterback, Baker Mayfield. I'm going to talk about the first one and then we'll take, well, then we'll move into the second one and then we'll do a tease and we'll do everything and we'll move down the show. But I, I want to start with this because I, I've heard the narrative that if the Browns head coach, Hugh Jackson, does not win, that if he does not win, he may get fired at the end of this year. Now, for context, uh, today is is May 30th. It's almost June, and OTAs have begun. That's organized team activities. NFL football teams have now begun practicing. Uh, And what that makes me think of, when you talk about maybe firing your head coach at the end of the year, What this all makes me think of is a wedding, actually, because before a wedding, you need to pick a location. You need to invite guests. You need to hire a photographer. There's a ton of work that goes in before a wedding. And in this analogy, a wedding is actually the beginning of the NFL season because you come all this way. You do all this work. But the problem is sometimes you do all the work. You hire the photographer. You you get the flowers. You invite guests. And then guess what? The couple has doubts. The couple goes, ooh, I'm not sure if I really want to marry this person. And it happens all the time. People get married all the time, even though they are not sure that's who, what they should be doing. It happens all the time. And I want to help the Browns stop from making that mistake. I want to help the Browns. Uh, I want to stop the Browns from marrying someone that they're not sure they really want to get married to. Because you know what could really, really hurt Baker Mayfield? Do you know what could damage Baker Mayfield's career? is if after Baker Mayfield's first season in the NFL, if the Browns fired his head coach and made him start over. If the Browns said, you know what, we don't like Hugh Jackson, we're going to make Baker Mayfield learn a whole new system all over again. That, that would be horrible. That's what the 49ers did to Alex Smith. For the first like years of Alex Smith's career, he had a new offensive coordinator, new head coach, system change, system change, system change, over and over and over again. And changing systems so often for Alex Smith hurt him and affected him for years. And I want to protect Baker Mayfield from having the same thing happen to him. Because if the Browns think that they might fire Hugh Jackson at the end of the season, I think they should just do it right now. If you're going to fire Hugh Jackson in week six or after week 17, fire him now. Protect Baker Mayfield from having to learn a new system all over again. Because Baker Mayfield needs the same coach for the next two, three, even four years. He needs a constant. He needs a steady, steady system. And so if you're going to plan on changing things up after one year, just do it now. It it may be uncomfortable. Look, I get it. The OTAs have started. Practices have begun. You already invited guests. You already bought the flowers. You hired a photographer. You picked a location for the wedding. But the wedding is September 9th against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if the Browns have doubts, They'd better off fire Hugh Jackson right now. They'd be better off getting rid of Hugh Jackson now 
than wasting a year of Baker Mayfield's career learning one system, changing it all up on him and making him learn another next year. If you're going to commit to Hugh Jackson right now, you better commit to Hugh Jackson for the next two, three, even four years. Give Baker Mayfield some consistency, please, for the love of God. Do not give Hugh Jackson one year. He doesn't win as much as you want and fire him. That would be an awful, awful thing for their new quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Now, I have a low opinion of the Browns. I think the Browns are a dysfunctional organization. And I understand that makes people angry when I say that. I say, you know, the Browns, they are concerning. Well, I don't think it's controversial really to say that the Browns are dysfunctional because for years, the Browns hired and fired coach after coach after coach. They brought in new coach after new coach after new coach. And if you look back at the last two years, the Browns have had the number one overall pick two years in a row now. How does that happen? A dysfunctional organization could only go one and 31 in the last two years. A functioning organization, an organization that's running things well, does not go one and 31 in the last two years. I might make you angry, but the Browns are dysfunctional. So I talked about, you know, in the last topic, I said Baker Mayfield needs two things. One of them was he needs a consistency. He needs consistency at the head coaching position. Baker Mayfield cannot have a coaching change at the end of his first year. That would be detrimental to Baker Mayfield's success. The second thing Baker Mayfield needs is Baker Mayfield needs time. See, dysfunctional organizations are often impatient. And I fear the Browns are going to get impatient and play Baker Mayfield before he is ready. They're going to play him too early. I want to ask, have you ever had a pot pie? My dad makes pot pies. See, like the Marie Callender pot pies, these big ones. And when you put a pot pie in the oven, it takes about an hour and 10 minutes to cook. In fact, my dad says it's exactly an hour, 10 minutes to cook a pot pie. But do you know what happens if you only cook a pot pie for 30 minutes? Instead of the hour and 10 minutes it needs, you only cook it for 30 minutes. You pull it out, you put it on a plate, and you start to eat it. Guess what happens? It's cold. It's frozen in the middle. And even if you try to put it back in the oven, it's, it's ruined. It's too late. You can't put that piece of pie back in the oven and cook it. It's over. You can't have the, the pot pie doesn't work. And that's my fear that what the Browns are going to do with Baker Mayfield. They're going to get Baker Mayfield on the field before he's ready. Too early. I don't want them to ruin Baker Mayfield because I think Baker Mayfield has some potential. I think Baker Mayfield could be a great quarterback. I mean, look, the Browns chose Baker Mayfield with the number one overall pick. In theory, Baker Mayfield is their quarterback of the future. And the problem with being a number one overall pick is there's a lot of pressure to play your number one overall pick. We spent all this money. We spent a draft pick on him. We should play our guy. We picked him. Why aren't we playing Baker Mayfield? That's the narrative that could go on if the Browns are not immediately successful, which it's possible they won't be. They play the Steelers week one, the Saints week two. They could start off 0-2 and it could get even worse. I don't know. I love Tyrod Taylor. I love who they have. But dysfunctional organizations are impatient. And the fear is that the Browns are going to jump the gun and play Baker Mayfield before he is ready. I mean, look at last year. So last year... In the second round, the Browns drafted Deshaun Kaiser. And it appears that they learned from this. Because what they did last year is they they picked Deshaun Kaiser in the second round. And then they started Deshaun Kaiser week one. And that was a terrible, terrible mistake. Because Deshaun Kaiser was not ready. And so I I do think it's, I, I hope, and it seems likely the Browns have learned from the past. 
because the Browns know they played Deshaun Kaiser before he was ready last year. So to, to prepare for this, they got went out and they got Tyrod Taylor in the offseason. So right now, the Browns are in a perfect situation quarterback-wise. They have Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor is a really, really quality-level quarterback. They traded for him from the Buffalo Bills. Tyrod Taylor led the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs last year. In fact, Tyrod Taylor is a two-time Pro Bowl quarterback. Tyrod Taylor can play football. He's not Tom Brady, but he's definitely not Andy Dalton. He's somewhere in the middle. He's not bad. He's maybe a tier two quarterback. If you give him enough, maybe he could win a Super Bowl. He's, he's actually, I think, quite a quality quarterback. Tyrod Taylor's not bad. And, and I do think that the plan for the Browns is to play Tyrod Taylor as long as they possibly can and then play Baker Mayfield. But the other problem I have is I, I think that's their plan, but I don't trust the Browns because once again, the Browns are a dysfunctional organization and I just don't trust them. I don't know that they're not going to get impatient and play Baker Mayfield before he is ready because it's great. If they play Tyrod, that'd be perfect. Play Tyrod all year. If Baker Mayfield's not better than Tyrod Taylor, then why would you play him? Even if the Browns are not winning a ton, they're not. They're, they're not a great roster. They could. I mean, maybe they'll go 9-7. and seven. It's possible. Maybe the Browns are going to be the surprise of the year. Maybe. I think Tyrod Taylor can win some games, but if they don't, what I'm asking is please do not play Baker Mayfield before he is ready. <clears throat> if you remember, Baker Mayfield went to Oklahoma, and Baker Mayfield, when he transferred to Oklahoma, he had to take a year off, and he's admitted in the past Taking a year off in Oklahoma was really, really good for him because it gave him time to learn, to study, get used to Oklahoma, get to know all the players, catch up to speed. It could not hurt Baker Mayfield to sit him for the entire next season. You have Tyrod Taylor. And if Baker Mayfield's not as good as Tyrod Taylor, please do not play Baker Mayfield. The worst thing you could do to Baker Mayfield is play him before he's ready. Do not ruin Baker Mayfield the way that Deshaun Kaiser was ruined last year. That's my fear. My fear is that the Browns are going to get impatient because, oh, Baker Mayfield, he's a number one pick. We got to get him on the field. We spent all this money. We spent a pick. I fear and I hope the Browns do not get impatient with Baker Mayfield. Do not play Baker Mayfield before he is ready. Do you want to hear one more thing? Before, before I get do the tease, I want to point out this. The majority of NFL quarterbacks have sat on the bench for a while. If you look around the league, here, there are a few exceptions, but for the most part, Tom Brady sat for a year. Aaron Rodgers sat for years. Kirk Cousins was not a starter immediately. Jimmy Garoppolo was not a starter immediately. Even Big Ben, he played his rookie year, but Big Ben sat on the bench for a while. Jared Goff sat on the bench. Philip Rivers sat on the bench. Derek Carr sat on the bench. Most of the quarterbacks, if you look around the league, they did not play immediately. That's kind of where I come with this angle from with Baker Mayfield. There are some exceptions. Look, Russell Wilson played... Week one as a rookie, so did Dak Prescott. But the difference with them is they went to really good organizations. They were later round draft picks. So Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, they were not first round draft picks. There was a lower level of expectation for them, which helped them. And they went to really good, solid, stable organizations with good rosters. That helped them early on. Now, there is Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is some kind of anomaly. Matt Ryan is... The most successful quarterback, I believe, who's ever played week one. I mean, from the get, Peyton Manning, obviously more successful. Peyton Manning did not succeed his rookie year. Matt Ryan was unbelievable in his rookie year. Like, 
I, in fact, I believe Matt Ryan's first pass in the NFL was a touchdown. I'm, I'm not joking. I think he threw a slant. I think it was to Roddy White for a touchdown. Like, no joke. Matt Ryan's first pass in the NFL was a touchdown. But he's an anomaly. He's not the. He's an exception to the rule. Most quarterbacks are better off when they sit. I'm not saying that you can't be successful week one. Carson Wentz played week one. A multitude of other quarterbacks throughout the, the, the history of the NFL have played week one, and it's fine. But I do think that sitting quarterbacks cannot hurt them. And you look around the league, the majority, not all of them, there are exceptions again, but the majority of quarterbacks you start in the NFL did not play week one. And some of them did not play until the end of their rookie year or even not at all their rookie year. Again, Aaron Rodgers didn't play his rookie year. Tom Brady didn't play his rookie year. I believe Drew Brees sat for a while. Jared Goff sat for a while. Derek Carr, that's the big one is Derek Carr. Derek Carr didn't start right away. Now, Andrew Luck did, but Andrew Luck is on the sideline. He's hurt. He, he played great, but he was injured. So I just think it's interesting. There's definitely a good argument for maybe Baker Mayfield should sit for a while. A lot of quarterbacks have sat, and a lot of quarterbacks were helped. And you think about some of the quarterbacks who have started week one. They're a mess. Tim Couch, Jamarcus Russell. A lot of quarterbacks aren't ready, and they need time to sit. And I just don't think sitting Baker Mayfield for a while could hurt. So we did a false start. We, we jumped over. I said, oh, I have a great show. And I do have a great show. But then I realized I had more to say about that. But I have a, a fantastic show today. We're going to obviously talk about the NBA Finals. We're going to talk about LeBron James, the Golden State Warriors. I'm going to tell you how to be excited. I guess maybe not. I'm going to tell you why I'm excited for the NBA Finals. I think there's a, a little key storyline that even though we all believe the Warriors are going to win, there is a key storyline we can follow that could be interesting. We're going to talk about the Patriots. Uh, Cassius March, Marsh, Cassius Marsh came out and said a lot of stuff about the Patriots. And nobody's taking this guy seriously. They're all making fun of him. Um, I try to look at things from a different perspective. I always do my best to look at things from both sides. So I have a, a very interesting topic, I believe, about the New England Patriots and about the things that Cassius Marsh has said recently, bad-mouthing the Patriots. We're also going to talk about the Seahawks for a bit. I think there's somewhat of a disconnect in Seattle. I don't think there's a lot of cohesion in that franchise. And remember, if you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show. Tell your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, or on Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow strong opinion sports by telling your friends about it everywhere you can. Share with your friends. And subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube. You can also find my best, most interesting clips on YouTube. All right. Back with the Montana State water bottle. Check it out. It's like a little candy. They gave it to me for free, which is kind of, I think it's awesome. I mean, I guess, you know, my, my old college, Washington State, is really hurting for money, so maybe... Maybe Montana State is not. That's kind of cool. Um, I saw this narrative the other day. So I saw this narrative all over social media that the Warriors got lucky again. And get t- guys, I'll type out SMH, shaking my head. The Warriors are lucky once again. Oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. Calling the Warriors lucky is so so stupid. And, and I, I think, first of all, we should explain why people say this. Why do people say the Warriors are lucky? So there's a couple reasons historically. First of all, in 2015, uh, one in the first game of the NBA Finals, Kyrie Irving got hurt. And subsequently, people believe that's why the Warriors won that Finals is LeBron James didn't have the help he needs. He got overpowered by the Warriors. So, oh, 
The Warriors got lucky. Kyrie got hurt, and the Warriors won a championship. But then after drafting, so here's what's interesting. is The Warriors drafted Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. They drafted them. They did not acquire them. But because they had three All-Stars, and when they exercised their right to free agency, they went out and got Kevin Durant. People say, oh, the Warriors are lucky. They're going to get more championships because they got lucky. Kevin Durant wanted to go there. So this year in the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers lost Kyrie Irving. They had to get rid of him and ship him off to the Boston Celtics, which meant that, you know what? Nobody really believes the Cavs can challenge the Warriors. Check it down. Another championship for the Warriors. They're the luckiest franchise of all time. But then later in the Western Conference Finals, the game to get into the NBA Finals, guess what? The Warriors were actually being challenged. They were in a tough series against the Houston Rockets. And when all hope, it looked really bad for the Warriors, guess what? The guy leading the charge against them for the Houston Rockets, Chris Paul, got hurt. Oh, the Warriors, they're so lucky. Oh, they always get every break possible. And then people come out and say, well, if you watched Game 7, we all know the Rockets were horrible at shooting threes in Game 7. They were 7 for 44. The Rockets were a mess. They were absolutely terrible shooting threes in Game 7. And people, again, doubled down. The Warriors are the luckiest franchise of all time. You know, I think I think I saw a stat that it was like 1 in 72,000 to 1 odds that the Rockets would shoot that poorly in Game 7. Like, of course the Warriors are quote-unquote lucky. So I want to address that because the argument, I guess that's why people make the argument that the Warriors are lucky. People, they cite all those reasons, Kyrie Irving injured, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul got hurt, Warriors, Rockets shot poorly, yada, yada. But the reason why people call the Warriors lucky, they, they, there's, one, there's one reason to think it. There's another reason to say it out loud. The reason why people tweet about it, the reason why people say it to their friends, the reason why people say the Warriors got lucky is because they want to diminish the Warriors' accomplishments. They want to take away from the Warriors. They want to diminish the value of every championship that the Golden State Warriors win. And I think it's so funny that even though there's dominance all over the world, we see Amazon is dominant, Google is dominant, Microsoft is dominant, Bill Gates is incredibly wealthy. Even though there's dominance all over the world, the dominance that makes people angry is when people are dominant in sports. Sports dominance, for some reason, is the one that makes everybody mad. And then we get the narrative, the Warriors are lucky because nobody likes dominance in sports. And so we say, we're jealous, we're mad, we want to diminish the accomplishment. The Warriors are lucky. And so I want to ask the question, aren't all dynasties accused of being lucky? Don't we accuse the New England Patriots of being lucky all the time? We do. (laughs) Tom Brady's been to eight Super Bowls. He won five of them. And people still call Tom Brady lucky. I don't think, I mean, after five Super Bowls, I don't know how you call that lucky, but people still do. And I think, you know, luck does not complete passes. Luck does not make jump shots. Luck does not control your actions. Maybe, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And here's an argument I understand, but I don't agree with. I understand, but I don't agree with people calling one Super Bowl luck. So people say, Nick Foles got lucky. I don't think Nick Foles got lucky. I think all the cards had to go right for him. Everything had to fall into place for Nick Foles last year to win a Super Bowl. But Nick Foles, and Nick Foles will never do it again, but Nick Foles did win that Super Bowl. Nick Foles completed those passes. He did the work. He earned it. 
So I understand, I don't agree with, but I understand calling one Super Bowl luck, but five? How do you do that? How do you call that lucky? And how do you call the Warriors success? This is their fourth year in a row in the finals. They are killing it. How do you call that luck? Because I don't. That doesn't make sense to me. See, luck is an accident. Luck is winning the lottery. Winning the lottery is luck. Know what? Nobody in the world accidentally wins a championship. And that's why I just don't think anytime anyone wins a championship, you can't call that lucky. And I think anybody who is foolish enough to call the Warriors lucky does not understand luck. I want to read you a quote by the Roman philosopher Seneca. Seneca said, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So in order to get lucky, you had to be ready to seize the moment. Greatness and and, and people who are great take advantage of people and their flaws or their mistakes. See, again, you screw up against Tom Brady, Tom Brady's going to make you pay. He will capitalize on that mistake. If you don't bring everything you have, if you don't show up with all your great players, if you don't have a good night shooting, guess what? You're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors because they are great. <laughs> That's just funny, man. Like, I, again, I saw the stat. The, the Rockets had a 1 in 72,000 odds that they were going to shoot that poorly that night. They were 7 for 44 from three-point range. They shot 15% in game seven. And I don't know how that stat, 1 for 72 thousand calculates the moment but i know this in the moment against the reigning nba champs the houston rockets folded the houston rockets did not show up and so do not call the warriors lucky the rockets wilted in the moment the rockets wilted in the moment not the warriors greatness does intimidate people and the warriors are not lucky they are great The Warriors are fantastic. The Warriors, I want to point out, the last thing I'll say, because maybe it's a ridiculous topic to argue this, but I wanted, I just saw the narrative and it drove me nuts. I was like, ah, so much to say. It makes me so angry. You understand that the Warriors were expected to win, right? We all, we all thought even months ago when the season began, the Warriors are going to win the championship again this year. People went, ah, and so now when they get there, some people have the audacity to call the Warriors lucky. If the Warriors had lost, we'd all call say they choked. And when they win, we all say that they are lucky. So what is it? It's just it's ridiculous and getting annoying. I understand you hate the Warriors. I don't really like it either, but we shouldn't diminish their accomplishment. The Warriors are fantastic. They are a great team, maybe a dynasty, and they are unbelievable. So don't call the Warriors lucky. Don't diminish their accomplishment. They are a fantastic team that, I mean, if they win another championship— they probably earn the right because that's how championships are earned. So now I want to talk about the the, the finals matchup. I'm going to drink some. I got Gatorade too. Like, I got water and Gatorade. It's very exciting. So I, I guess we should talk about the finals matchup because nobody's really giving the Warriors. Uh, nobody's giving the Cavs a chance to beat the Warriors. So I want to make this analogy. I saw Deadpool 2 the other day. And, uh, look, I I knew how the movie was going to end. I knew Deadpool was going to win at the end of the movie. It's a superhero movie. That's all they always end. But I still had fun. I still enjoyed Deadpool 2 quite a bit, even though I knew how it was going to end. And we all know how the NBA Finals are going to end. We all know the Warriors are going to win at some point in this series. But that doesn't mean we can't still have fun. 
doesn't mean we can't still enjoy the NBA Finals. See, in Deadpool 2, there was a character named Peter. We saw him in the trailer. I'm not going to spoil the movie. But in the trailer, there was a guy named Peter, average Peter. Peter had no superpowers. And so me and my friends played this game before the the movie came out. We'd go, do we think Peter's going to live? Yes or no? And it was like a little side task to, even though we knew how the movie was going to end, we knew Deadpool would win, it made it a little more entertaining because we had this subplot going on. So we can find a subplot in the NBA Finals that can make it more enjoyable. So here's what I have put together. My question is, here's my subplot for the NBA Finals. Can LeBron James win two games in the NBA Finals? Because he's going to win one. LeBron James is going to win one game in these finals. It's going to be at least a five-game series. That's just how the Warriors operate. The Warriors gave up a game to Anthony Davis and the Pelicans. That's just what the Warriors do. They don't sweep people, not the way their current makeup of their team. I I think it's kind of in their head a little bit. It's the mental makeup of the team. They take nights off. They're weird. And I, I have no problem believing that LeBron James is going to win at least one game in these NBA finals. But again, my question is, can he win two? Can LeBron James win two games? That's the real intrigue to me. That is what I'm curious about. Because I, I believe these finals are much more about mental makeup. There's a lot more mental stuff going on in these finals than people realize. I think there's a lot of heady stuff in these finals. And my dad actually thinks that LeBron James is more headstrong than the Warriors. My dad believes LeBron James is going to win the finals. That's weird. He's crazy. I love him. He's awesome, but I don't believe him. Uh, And for LeBron James to win these finals, it's going to take, I mean, Steph Curry has to get hurt and Klay Thompson has to get hurt. They both have to be out for the series. And then you would have Kevin Love and LeBron versus Draymond and Durant. And I think LeBron James beats Kevin Durant. But so LeBron James could win if that happened, if Klay and Steph both got hurt, but he's not going to win. It's just not going to happen. But these finals are very much about the mental makeup. And that's another subplot we can follow is there's all these highs and lows. Both teams, the Cavaliers and the Warriors, have extreme highs and extreme lows. I mean, the Warriors got blown out by 40 twice this season. And they're the best team in the in the NBA. I mean, how does that happen? And we see all these weird dramatic swings. So I think it's possible we could see the Golden State Warriors overconfident. They're the reigning champs. They know they're better. They're the massive favorite. I think they're favored by, it's almost 13 points. I mean, they are tremendously favored in this series. And the the, War, the Cavs are the underdog. So maybe, and I think we will see the Warriors come out a little bit overconfident, especially if they dominate in the first game. The rest of the, the that will set the tone for the series and the Warriors are going to be a little bit lackadaisical, much more relaxed. <clears throat> now the Cavaliers, on the other hand, they have nothing to lose. The Cavaliers have already overachieved just getting here. So I think, you know, the Cavs have never been here before. A lot, I mean, a lot of the the players on the Cavs, uh, George Hill, for example, George Hill has never been to the finals. All the people they traded for, everybody they acquired in the offseason, they've never been to the finals before. I think they almost don't know any better. They, they have nothing to lose. And it's worth noting the Warriors are not playing well. So, mental the mental part of these finals is very important the Warriors are not playing good basketball they're not working together they're not sharing the ball they're not playing good team basketball the way the Warriors are playing right now they're playing isolation basketball they're having one guy goes one-on-one by himself creates his own shot and wins and that would not work for most NBA teams 
in fact, I don't think any other team in the NBA could do that consistently and win the way the Warriors are winning because the truth is the Warriors are simply better at shooting than everybody else in the NBA. And there's not another team in the league that can do that. Jeff Green can't go one-on-one every time and pass LeBron and LeBron. It just doesn't work. Only the Warriors can win the way they're winning. So my question again is, because of the fact that the Warriors are overconfident and the Cavs have nothing to lose, and there's an extreme, I mean, this is a massive, massive underdog. Could LeBron James win two games? I think he's going to win one. Two is going to be much more difficult, but that's the subplot I'm really curious about and I want to follow. Can LeBron James win two games in this year's NBA Finals? That is what I'm excited to watch for, and I'm, I don't know which two games he will win. I do not believe he's going to win game one. Game one is going to be a blowout. Um, that's just what's going to happen. So don't overreact when LeBron James gets blown out in game one of the NBA Finals. That is what I expect. So I, I talk about overreactions. I want to talk about game seven versus the Boston Celtics. So LeBron just won game seven against the Boston Celtics. And again, everybody overreacted. Everybody, oh, it's the greatest achievement. LeBron James, he's never done anything better than this. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, relax. I love LeBron. <laughs> I don't think you realize the Boston Celtics don't have a single star on their team. This is a, it's an accomplishment for sure. It's like, it's impressive. But it's not the greatest accomplishment LeBron James has ever done. I think, honestly, beating that Warriors team in Game 7, that was the most impressive thing LeBron James has ever done in his career. Um, and I just, I don't know. What's what's crazy to me is actually, and what's most impressive about Game 7 versus the Boston Celtics is LeBron James played all 48 minutes of that game. That's unbelievable. Now, here's the truth about Game 7 between the Cavaliers and the Celtics. Don't let people's overreaction, oh, the greatest accomplishment ever, don't let that skew your belief and your understanding of what actually happened. The Boston Celtics folded down the stretch. It's the truth. I mean, at the end of the game, the Boston Celtics were not as resilient. They were not playing their brand of basketball, and they lost the game. I mean, the Boston Celtics only shot 34%. 34% shooting. That's 17% from three-point range. That's atrocious. That's awful. And this game, Game 7, between the Cavaliers and the Celtics was a long, slogging defensive battle. And the reason why LeBron James won was, yes, LeBron James had an incredible performance. He scored 35 points. He did not leave the court the entire game. But the truth is, LeBron James would not have won if his role players did not show up. And the, the role players did show up. So the Cavaliers, I've said this many times, they need people to score in double digits. When the Cavaliers have multiple people that score in double digits, the Cavaliers have been able to win in this year's NBA playoffs. So the Cavaliers had four players in double digits in Game 7 on Sunday versus the Celtics. LeBron had 35, Tristan Thompson had 10 points, J.R. Smith had 12 points, and the real difference, the surprise of the night was that Jeff Green came out of nowhere and Jeff Green had 19 points. He did two big threes. He had, a, I think it was seven for something shooting. He, he had a really good night. And so that is why the Cavaliers won. They won because of their role players and they won because the Celtics wilted. And of course, LeBron James, there were three factors at work. But every, it's, it's very interesting. Every starter for the Cavs had a positive plus minus. But please do not overreact. Please do not tell me that winning game seven versus the Boston Celtics and getting this Cavs team into the NBA Finals 
please do not tell me that's LeBron James' greatest accomplishment of all time because it's simply not true. Look, Game 7 was an impressive win. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to diminish LeBron James, but it's just not the best thing he's ever done. It's not a single greatest achievement. This was a young Boston Celtics team that folded under the big lights. Even though Jason Tatum was fantastic, the Boston Celtics team folded in the moment. And LeBron James' role players showed up to play. He had four people on his team scoring double digits. I think, again, what's most impressive about Game 7 was that LeBron James played all 48 minutes of the game. He did not leave the court. He took no breaks. That's what impressive is impressive, is LeBron James' conditioning and his ability to play the entire game without taking a break. That's what's amazing about this win. It's not the fact that he beat the Celtics. Celtics did not have a single star. They were led by a rookie. So don't come to me and say, oh, greatest achievement of all time, because it's simply not. All right. Um, you want to hear about some football? I know you guys, I'm dying to talk about football. You guys want to hear about football. I'm going to end with LeBron at the end of the show, but I want to talk now about the New England Patriots. So Cassius Marsh left the New England Patriots and he joined the 49ers. And he recently came out, Cassius Marsh came out and said, playing for the Patriots is no fun. And and right now the media is mocking him. The media is going after Cassius Marsh. Nobody's taking him seriously. They're all saying, it's football. Football is work. Work is not fun. So of course, the Patriots is not fun. No NFL team is fun. And it's, it's a very stereotypical cookie-cutter argument that everybody in the media is using. And I I do my best. I try to always look at things from a little bit different perspectives. I try to argue for both sides. So I try to give, you know, here's what one side is saying. Here's what the other side is saying. This is what I believe. Here's why. I try to do all that. And so I want to look at this from a different perspective than everybody else. Instead of the cookie-cutter argument, because they did, is football fun? No, football is not necessarily fun. Football is work. That's my opinion. I, I think that work does not need to be fun. Most Americans hate their jobs. It's just the truth. Um, but I wonder this. I wonder, because nobody's giving Cassius Marsh a chance. Nobody is listening to him. Nobody's really taking him seriously. I wonder if what's happening with Cassius Marsh is that he's just doing a poor job of articulating himself. This guy's not a communications major. This guy is not. Maybe he was. I don't know. I could be wrong on that. But I don't think Cassius Marsh is the a guy who's going to maybe say things the most eloquent way possible. So I wonder this. I wonder if Cassius Marsh just means something different than it wasn't any fun. Because I I saw, I want to explain something this way. I saw the Han Solo movie the other day. And uh, it was not fun. It was not a fun movie. I did not enjoy it. But it was not a negative experience. So the Han Solo movie was not fun, but it was not a bad thing either. See, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, that was a negative experience. That was unpleasant. I think there's a difference between not fun and really bad. And I wonder if Cassius Marsh simply does not know how to articulate that very well. Because neither movie was fun, right? Neither was fun, but one of them was unpleasant and one of them was just not fun. And what if that's what Cassius Marsh means? What if Cassius Marsh means that playing for the Patriots is not only not fun, what if he means that playing for the Patriots is a unpleasant, negative experience? What if playing for the Patriots is not only neutral, it's bad. It's a negative, bad experience. And Cassius Mars is not alone. Look at 
Brandon Brooks, he's a he played for the Texans. He he's ripping the Texans right now, saying that Bill O'Brien, who's a former understudy of Bill Belichick, he said that culture is also he said miserable. And miserable is different than not fun. Everybody's if you say the words not fun, those are bad strategic words to use because people say, of course work isn't fun, of course football isn't fun. They make that same cookie cutter argument. But if you say playing for the Patriots is miserable or playing for the Patriots is an unpleasant experience, that's very different than simply not fun. And what if that's how it is? What if we're all missing the point? What if we're not taking Cassius Mar seriously and we're missing the fact that playing for the Patriots sucks and playing for the Patriots not only not fun, it's a miserable, bad experience that nobody wants because that's bad for the brand. It's one thing to say the Patriots aren't fun. Then everyone can write that off. But if players are now saying playing for the Patriots is a miserable, terrible experience I would not wish on anybody, that's bad for the Patriots. That's bad for Bill Belichick. And it's reflecting in their own locker room right now because Tom Brady's not there. It's more, more examples and more proof that maybe the Patriots are eroding. It's not just Tom Brady. It's not just a couple players. People are coming out and saying, playing for the Patriots is miserable. Playing for the Patriots is not fun. Nobody likes their culture. I'm not saying, I guess when I say not fun, I mean it's an unpleasant, it's a bad experience. I just think we're writing Cassius Mars off without really listening to him. And maybe what he means, I could be dead wrong. Like I could be crazy. I could be off on a hill by myself. I don't know. But I know that maybe what Cassius Mars means is playing for the Patriots is miserable. It's a bad experience. And I would rather play anywhere else but New England. That's very different from saying, I did not have fun. They didn't give us popsicles and lemonade. Nobody expects that in the NFL. But if it's a miserable, bad experience, that's very different from not fun. And I think we should maybe listen to Cassius Marsh just a little bit more. And I think it's a very interesting story that I think is worth paying attention to and that nobody's really taking seriously. So I want to stay with the Patriots for a minute. I talked in the last podcast about how the Patriots organization appears to be in trouble. Their culture is eroding. Their culture is falling apart. And Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Patriots, he's not only not at practice. Tom Brady's leading the revolt against their head coach, Bill Belichick. Again, he's not at OTAs. And when you're not at OTAs, when your quarterback is not at practice, you're sending the message I'm disrespecting Bill Belichick. I don't respect Belichick. I don't respect his ways. And that's a problem. Having your quarterback in an open revolt against your coach is a problem. And it's a very clear indication the Patriots culture could be falling apart. Now, what I find most interesting about this little theory I have about the Patriots is that there's a guy named Jimmy Garoppolo. And the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo. And the Patriots traded away Jimmy Garoppolo. They chose Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, Cassius Marsh, a player for the Patriots, a guy who left the Patriots, he's now with the 49ers, was talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. And he said that when he was with the Patriots, Jimmy Garoppolo used to shred New England's defense every single day. And he said Jimmy Garoppolo shredded the Patriots' defense the same way Tom Brady did. There was no difference. And in fact, Jimmy Garoppolo is a better athlete than Tom Brady. And the Patriots should have chose Jimmy Garoppolo. <sighs> so I think it's interesting. If uh, the Patriots had chosen Jimmy Garoppolo, they might not have the same problems with their culture. Because guess who's leading the charge? Tom Brady. They, get, they chose Tom Brady, but now Tom Brady might be sabotaging the whole thing and undermining their head coach. I think it's interesting. If the Patriots were to choose Tom Brady, which they did, 
the only way you could justify choosing Jimmy Garoppolo, if Jimmy Garoppolo is really a good quarterback, the only way you could justify picking Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo is if Tom Brady won the Patriots another Super Bowl after the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. And time will tell, but it does not seem like the Patriots are going to win another Super Bowl. I might be wrong. Again, I've been wrong all the time. I say my opinions, whatever. I'm going to do a topic next podcast called Zach is a Genius, making fun of myself because I'm wrong. But I think it's interesting that they had Tom Brady. They, they Sorry, they had Jimmy Garoppolo. The Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo. And never, ever forget the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo and they traded him away for a second round draft pick. And the guy they chose instead of Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy causing trouble now, undermining the coach. And let's be honest. If Jimmy Garoppolo, who appears to be great and seems like Jimmy Garoppolo could play for the next 10 years, Tom Brady's days are numbered. The Patriots chose Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo, which kind of gave away their entire future. And now it's really backfiring because Tom Brady's causing problems in their organization. Again, never forget, the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo. They traded him away for a second-round pick. We're going to watch over the years. I don't know that that was a good move. In fact, I would argue it was probably a really bad move. And the Patriots deserve criticism for choosing Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo. If it really pans out that way, if it really pans out Jimmy Garoppolo is a franchise quarterback and a great quarterback, they probably should have chosen Jimmy Garoppolo rather than Tom Brady. We'll watch. But again, it seems unlikely that the Patriots are going to win another Super Bowl. And uh, it was only worth it. It was only worth picking Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo if Tom Brady can win another Super Bowl. If Tom Brady does not win another Super Bowl after the Jimmy Garoppolo trade, I don't know how you can justify it because Jimmy Garoppolo could have done the same, maybe more, because he might win a Super Bowl with the 49ers. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's very possible the Patriots made a huge, massive mistake. So let's talk. Let's move from one busted culture to another busted culture. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. So recently, the Seattle Seahawks have had a number of people come out and say that they had problems with their culture in Seattle. So first is Cliff Averill. Cliff Averill is a former Seahawk. He, I believe he retired. He was talking about the Seahawks, and he said, you know, I never really listened to Pete Carroll. I never really listened to anything the guy had to say. And then we've seen, you know, Richard Sherman, for example, Richard Sherman came out and said, he, well, he called out Pete Carroll. He said, Pete Carroll should not be a head coach. He's a college coach. Nobody really listened to him, yada, yada. And uh, all this noise, there's all these kind of reports swirling around the Seahawks. And they've had, for years, there's been unraveling. There's been people saying they don't like the quarterback. They don't like Russell Wilson. They're, now the people are doubting the head coach. The Super Bowl cost them, yada, yada. All this noise. I take away from that, I take away three words from all this noise. I have three words about the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, cohesion, respect, and like. So, so first, I believe everybody likes Pete Carroll. I don't think there's anybody that wishes death on Pete Carroll. I don't think anybody hates Pete Carroll. I think nobody thinks Pete Carroll's a bad guy, right? I don't think anybody hates him. I do think everybody genuinely or generally likes Pete Carroll. I think that's the truth. But you can like someone and not respect them. In fact, I would ask you, how many people do you hang out with who you would not ask them for their opinion about maybe moving to New York or breaking up with a girl? There's, pe there's people out there that we hang out with that, you know, just because I hang out with you doesn't mean I respect your opinion or your advice. And so you can like someone and not respect someone. 
I'm not certain that the Seahawks respect Pete Carroll. Now, my other thing is there's a lack of an, an appeared lack of cohesion with the Seattle Seahawks between the coach, the quarterback and the locker room. Reports have indicated over the years that the Seattle Seahawks do not like Russell Wilson. They don't like their quarterback. And that makes sense to me. I understand why people don't like Russell Wilson. I've been around people who kind of are like what I would assume Russell. I'm assuming a lot about Russell Wilson, but I assume he's kind of fake. He's he's really good for PR. He's very is a reason Russell Wilson has a bunch of endorsements. Good, clean, Christian, wholesome, yada yada. And uh, that that's hard to be around if there's a guy who's being one thing for the media and he's another thing in real life. I've bet I've met people like that. I met a guy growing up. He was a bully of mine actually. And all the teachers loved him, and it drove me nuts because I'm like, ah, you don't know what he's actually like. And maybe that's not a Russell Wilson's. Maybe Russell Wilson isn't fake. Maybe they just feel like they're never getting what Russell Wilson actually is. But the point is, it seems like people don't like Russell Wilson on in his locker room. And Russell Wilson always echoes Pete Carroll's motivational crap. I mean, to be honest, I don't like motivational speakers. I don't fall for it, and I don't really like it. And I don't believe a 30-year-old... NFL veteran likes it either. I'm sure he's like, dude, just go away. I don't need motivation. I'm 30 years old. I, I'm, I'm a pro. I don't need help. I don't need you telling me how to live my life. I'm sure that's how it feels sometimes. And the biggest problem with the Seattle Seahawks is they don't have a sense of cohesion. Why are all these stories up in the air? Why is all this kind of mess swirling around the Seattle Seahawks? Because the 49ers have cohesion. And the Rams, even though the Rams added some questionable people, they added... The, the defensive end, they added, they added, sorry, what's his, and Dominic and Sue, they added Marcus Peters. Even though they have some kind of questionable characters in their locker room, even the Rams appear to have cohesion in their franchise. The Seahawks do not. It appears that the Seahawks are not united, and that's a big concern of mine. So I, I think the Seahawks are unraveling as we know it, and I think some of it is Pete Carroll's fault. I think some of it is Russell Wilson, who he is, kind of rubs people the wrong way. And I just don't have a lot of confidence in the culture in Seattle. So we have, we have more news from Seattle. The Seattle Seahawks signed veteran wide receiver Brandon Marshall. It's very, very confusing news. I don't really understand it. Brandon Marshall, formerly of the Denver Broncos. Then he went to the Chicago Bears. He was Jay Cutler's favorite target for a couple of years. Then he went to the Jets and the Giants, and he's really faltered. He's really kind of fallen off the wagon. It appears like Brandon Marshall can't really play anymore. Like he's not. There's a reason this late in free agency he just signed with the team, and why he was so excited because he didn't know if he was going to play at all this year. And so may, I'm going to try to understand where the Seahawks were coming from. Maybe the Seahawks thought, hey, you know, we can bring in Brandon Marshall. He's a veteran. Uh, maybe we can. He can be like a player coach. We can bring Brandon Marshall in to be a veteran leader in our locker room. And it's a very small deal. The, the Seahawks only signed Brandon Marshall for one year, uh, a one-year deal worth $2 million. But, but here's why it's most confusing to me. Here's why I don't understand why the Seattle Seahawks signed Brandon Marshall. I mean, I'm sure Brandon Marshall's somewhat mature. I, I hear somewhat good things about him, but I see him all the time on NFL Network. And Brandon Marshall is a good broadcaster, but he's incredibly outspoken. He's honest. He's real. He's open. And that's not a bad thing at all. But outspoken veterans is kind of what we've come to not like in Seattle. That's what Seattle has appeared to push away. I, I thought that Seattle was like, we're done with outspoken veterans. We're going to get rid of Mike, Michael Bennett. We're going to get rid of Richard Sherman. We're going to move on from Cliff Favre. We're going to move on from all these outspoken veterans and 
that's what they did again. They brought in Brandon Marshall again, which I don't really follow. I don't understand. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the, maybe they think Brandon Marshall is going to be either a good player on the field, or maybe they think Brandon Marshall is a good guy to have in the locker room. Like we got rid of all our veteran leaders. We should bring one back in. Maybe that's the thought process. I don't know, but it's just weird to me that, you know, Brandon Marshall doesn't bring much on the field. I don't think he's going to play. I don't think he's going to start and they're paying him 2 million, which is actually more than I would have paid Brandon Marshall to sit on the bench. And maybe he will play, but I don't think he will. And if he does, he's not really any good. So why did they do it? I don't know. I guess the only thing I can possibly think of is that the Seattle Seahawks thought Brandon Marshall could bring some veteran leadership to their locker room. But that's just a weird move to me because they got rid of all their veteran leaders in the locker room. So I don't know. I just don't understand. Brandon Marshall signing with the Seattle Seahawks. That was a weird, weird move that I just have a hard time following and a hard time understanding. So I don't know. Here's my last thing of the day. Last thing I want to talk about on this podcast. Wow. That, that blew by. I don't know. I don't know if you feel like it's been short. I feel like it's been incredibly short. Maybe someday. I know. No, I can't. Anyways, I can't go. With, I can't do a three-hour show. I'd love to do a three-hour show, but I can't. I don't have the bandwidth or time. And, you know, it'll take four hours to upload this hour-long podcast to YouTube and SoundCloud. And if I did a three-hour podcast, it would take like 12. It would take all day. I would not. <laughs> like, you want to hear my podcast in two weeks when I finally upload it? <laughs> um. <clears throat> I want to talk about LeBron James. So LeBron James has a bunch of options this offseason. And after the Rockets lost, people went, oh, yes, LeBron James is going to join the Houston Rockets. That's kind of what everybody thought. That's what all my friends thought on Facebook and Twitter and yada, yada, what commenters were saying. Um, LeBron's not going to the Rockets. I, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. I said two weeks ago, LeBron James should only sign one-year deals wherever he goes because he doesn't want to get trapped. And I said, what if LeBron James goes to the Houston Rockets and Chris Paul gets hurt? And then literally a week later, Chris Paul actually got hurt in the biggest moment of the franchise for the Houston Rockets. Not to mention, so Chris Paul has injury concerns in Houston. You really think that LeBron James wants to play with James Harden? Have you ever watched James Harden play defense? You think, you think LeBron James gets frustrated now with his teammates? I think LeBron James would hate, would absolutely hate playing with James Harden because 50% of the time, James Harden literally does not give effort. There was a play last week uh, in game seven, Eric Gordon inbounds the ball. James Harden just watches it kind of roll by him, doesn't make a move at it and just watches it. Hands on his hips, watches it go over there. That's so awful. And I, I think LeBron James would be incredibly frustrated playing with James Harden. He would just beat himself over the head. Why did I come here? These guys are injured. They're, James Harden doesn't work hard. It, I think it would be very annoying for LeBron James. So I think the Houston Rockets are out. Not to mention, by the way, I don't think LeBron James would mesh well with the head coach in Houston. But point taken. There are two options I really like for LeBron James. And I don't. I wouldn't even say really like. There are two options I think are viable, and I, I don't like them. How about that? I think LA is a big target. I think that's probably where LeBron James is going to go. And the other place I would love to see LeBron James consider is Philadelphia. I would like to see LeBron James consider the Philadelphia 76ers. I, I hope LeBron James goes to Philadelphia. I really do. I think to have a chance to see LeBron James compete for another championship, that's what I want. I want to see LeBron James play with other stars and have an opportunity to win maybe another championship. That's what I want to see. I think 
watching Ben Simmons and LeBron James would be fun. I think Ben Simmons would dominate the basketball. He would create plays for LeBron James and watching them dominate at the rim would be unbelievable. The only problem with Philadelphia is this. Well, there's two big ones. First off is that Joel Embiid gets hurt all the time. I mean, I think he's he's limited like 29 minutes. He, he's very limited in his time and his games he plays. It's very concerning. The bigger concern with the Philadelphia 76 or so is this. Imagine maybe Joel Embiid will be healthy all year. And they're assuming there's no hiccups. The 76ers do not have a three-point shooter. If LeBron James is your best three-point shooter, that's concerning to me. And I don't think that the 76ers have the firepower from three-point range to compete with the Golden State Warriors. I know that's that's a very first-class problem to say, you know, our team, we're really good. We're going to win the East, but we can't beat the team in the West. Maybe that's not the concern. Maybe the concern is just getting there. But I don't think that the 76ers have the three-point ability that is needed for LeBron James to win another championship and beat the Golden State Warriors. Now, uh, it leaves us with L.A. L.A. is probably the likely move, I think, where LeBron James is going to go. Uh, I First off, I think LeBron James would have less of a shot at a championship. If LeBron James goes to Philadelphia, that's probably his his best hope to win a championship, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, But he would have Paul George. He would have Lonzo Ball. He'd have Brandon Ingram. They'd be young. There'd be no shot at a championship, but it'd be young and interesting. And the reason why I think LeBron James would most love to go to L.A. is his ego. I love LeBron, but he has an ego. He wants to feel good. And can you imagine being the star? Every kid growing up dreams of... I, I, I wasn't even a basketball guy. I wanted to be an NFL quarterback. But everybody dreams. You shoot jump shots in your backyard. Zach Schaumer for the Lakers. He shoots. He scores. And LA goes crazy. The Staples Center loves him. Like That's what everybody dreams of. We all dream of the LA Lakers. And for LeBron James to go to LA, to be the star in LA... That it would be, you know how good that would feel for him? I, th- I think, right? I mean, man, to do it in Kobe's house, to have everybody in LA celebrate you and you walk into a restaurant, they're like, you're going to bring us a championship. To have that would be, I think, unbelievable in LA for LeBron James. So I don't really know that either option is actually a good option because I don't know that LeBron James can go anywhere and actually beat the Golden State Warriors. There's not a team in place that has a great opportunity. So maybe it is the Rockets, but I don't think he fits there either. So... I don't know. Like maybe, maybe port, like maybe a dark horse. I have two dark horses. Maybe it's the Boston Celtics. I think that's, you, you got to get rid of Kyrie, but I'd take LeBron over Kyrie and then you can trade for Kawhi Leonard maybe. Um, so maybe the Boston Celtics could take LeBron James. Maybe Portland. I think Portland, the Blazers have the three point shooters in place to, with LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Chris, uh, what, CJ McCollum and, LeBron James, that could maybe take down the Warriors if you added another big, like a, a cheap big to get something like that. But the truth is, I have I have no idea where LeBron James is going to go. And and I don't think LeBron James has an idea either where he's going to go. You know, I, I want to tell you, I'm going to Dallas in two weeks, and I have absolutely no idea what time my flight is. I, I don't know. I think it's on a Tuesday, question mark, but I don't really know. And uh, I think that's kind of how LeBron James feels. I don't think LeBron James has even once thought about where he's going next year. I mean, sure, it's like a a back-of-the-mind thought, but that's a problem for another day. Like, LeBron James is probably at home like, honey, we got a mountain to climb. We got to figure out how to win the finals. And after we figure out how to win or lose the finals, 
then we can deal with the next mountain, which is where am I going to go? But I don't think LeBron James really has any idea where he's going to go. I, if I was LeBron, I wouldn't know where I'm going to go. I'd be too worried about getting the season over with. And then I would figure out where I'm going to go. So, yeah, I don't think LeBron James has really thought about it much. I don't think he knows what he's going to do. And uh, I don't I certainly don't know what he's going to do. But I'm going to be very excited when I find out. I hope it's not like I go to Dallas and while I'm in Dallas, that would suck so bad as if while I'm in Dallas, <laughs> he went. So I guess it won't happen because it'll probably still be the finals. But, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. I guess that's that's really all I have today, guys. I'm, I'm really grateful for you guys listening. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, Help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports and help me grow the podcast. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm going to drink some more Gatorade and uh, enjoy the NBA Finals tomorrow. So I'm excited, man. Uh, Thursday is when the finals start. That's tomorrow. I'm predicting a blowout. I think the Warriors are going to annihilate the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I'm still excited to watch. I think it's going to be good. And... uh, Yeah, I'll see you guys on Friday. But um, bum, that's all I have. Bam, we are done. Thank you so much. I did it wrong. I like, but um, bum, whatever. Here's the end. But um, bum.